0: Well, good morning, Mercy Road. How's everybody doing? I have, a, I have my fan section, so I am sorry in advance. I am Pastor Jeremy. I have not met most of you, but I am new on staff here at Mercy Road, and I just want to say thank you so much for coming on race weekend. I just want to say that you guys figured out what the Apostle Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, when he says we all have a race marked for us, it doesn't include gasoline. So you guys are here. You're not sitting there bored like I would be. Maybe some of you are going to the race and about to mock you, but whatever. I'm sorry in advance. You're just gonna look at that track, you know, just go in circles. There's something big going on in Indianapolis week, this weekend, and I think it's happening in this room, not on a racetrack. Can I get an amen to that? Well, welcome to Mercy Road. We are a church that we believe we've been placed in Hamilton County, specifically Carmel, right here to be a hospital for sinners, so if you feel like that way today, I just want you to know you came to the right place. This is a hospital for sinners. This is not a museum for the saints. And so that is why we're here. We believe nobody is too far from God to experience life change through Jesus Christ. And that is why we're here. So if you are online, welcome. can you guys, if you're in the room, can you guys give it up for our audience who is online? And if you're at the racetrack right now and you're watching this on Tuesday, no, sorries. Anyways, nonetheless, well, we are in week four, finishing up our brand our brand new series. It's not brand new if it's week four and we're finishing it up, but whatever. Words, tough stuff. Uh, we are finishing up our series on the Book of Ruth, chapter four. So, if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to grab them, open them up with me. I I am a, I may be young, or at least think I'm young. I will never say I'm not young. Um, I like to follow along with, so if you have that suite, if you have your digital form and you have your phone, it will be on the screen for you, but I'd love to just follow along, maybe take some notes. We're actually gonna start in chapter one of Ruth because I thought if we're finishing it up, why not just read every verse from starting from Ruth chapter one? And since this is the last service, they say there's no end time. So... That's not how that works. Okay, but anyways, we are actually starting in Ruth chapter one, but we're gonna start in Ruth chapter one, verse 19, which brings these encouraging words, says, so the two women, which if you have not heard the last three weeks, you need to go back and listen to them. These two women's names are Naomi and Ruth. Naomi being the mother-in-law and Ruth being the daughter-in-law. Went on until they came to Bethlehem. Again, if you don't remember the story from the last few weeks, Naomi married, having two sons, well, the land was in famine. And so they leave Bethlehem, their, their hometown, and they go to Moab because they hear that Moab, which oddly enough, if you know any of the historical context and the geographical lands, it's in the same region. So I don't know how Bethlehem was not producing food, but Moab was. But nonetheless, they find themselves in Moab. And then about 10 years later, guess what happens in Moab? They're starving again. And she hears after two Traumatic things happen. What kind of three? Her husband dies. So this woman, as we get to this place, is battling grief. And then tragically, her two sons die, which means Ruth's husband also dies. How about an encouraging word for Memorial Day weekend, right? But as we get to this space in verse 19, she's on her way back to Bethlehem again, it seems, looking for basic necessities, Maybe you're that person who comes in this room this morning and you are feeling like you need some basic necessities. And you're sitting here, you going, I don't even know how I'm gonna get through today. You know what, we live in Hamilton County and this is what I've always heard about those of us who have a little bit more, is we're really good at actually hiding behind our little bit more, but we're really broken just as much. And if you're anything like me, as an Enneagram 3, I like to put on this wonderful projection of having life put together, when in actuality, my wife gets to see every single day that this guy does not have his life put together, specifically when it comes to laundry. Can I get an amen? Whew. But these two women approaching this spot, and you're gonna see the emotion come out. And they get to Bethlehem, and when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. Now, can you imagine coming? We don't know how big Bethlehem is at this point, but we actually know it's a smaller town, but the entire town is stirred. What a welcome. Like, I don't know if it's just like a string of gossip going around. We don't know, but we can say this. These two ladies are coming in with a lot of emotions, broken and feeling quite empty. And this is what it says. The women explained, can this be Naomi. Then Naomi says these things to these women who obviously know who she is now 10 years later. Don't call me Naomi. This is a a huge piece of this entire book. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full to Moab, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Before I move on, let me tell you what the word Naomi means. So she wants to be called Mara because Mara means bitter, broken, angry, distressed. But Naomi means pleasant, sweet, kind, lovable. So she chooses the exact opposite for herself because she left feeling full and full of life and anticipating great things to come. And then she comes back, finding her family and her friends, feeling what? Empty. Now I'm sure, Many of us in this room resonate with this Naomi. In some ways, we resonate because we've felt full before. You ever felt full? Like life is really good? Graduating seniors? You're feeling that right now? You, you're feeling full and then, well, sorry to be the dummy down here for you, but prophetically, I'm just gonna tell you what's gonna happen. There are gonna be days in the future where you feel empty. So whether you're the person who feels full this morning or you're the person who feels empty, there is a great word that's about to come. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Wow, this Naomi woman, how in the world, you ever wanna sit there and go, how in the world did this woman make the Bible? I'm like, if Naomi can make the Bible, I'm doing pretty good. Because I didn't say that God brought affliction on me, although I do feel that way. Maybe, maybe you're like me in the last seven months. The last, you know, I get up here, I have a, a big jolly smile personality. Like I can cover a lot of like internal multitudes of sins with my own personality and I can hide it. But the reality is the last seven months have been the, by far the worst seven months of my life. And no, that's not because I came to Mercy Road. It's been a good thing. But seven months ago, very quickly, my dad died of COVID completely unexpectedly. It sucks. Let's just be real. And in the last seven months has not just been figuring out grief for the first time in a way that I didn't know I needed to navigate. But depression has struck the family as a result. And the compounding pieces of that, I can tell you, I know what emptiness feels like in ways I never knew before. And sometimes I sit there and when Pastor Josh said, hey, can you speak at the 1130 service on this topic? I'm like, can I do anything about the topic of emptiness. Because in some ways I feel it. But maybe you're like me and you are a master. Maybe you're a professional at hiding it and nobody would know. Well, I want you to know that this is a space. Well, one, there is no condemnation in Christ. Go read Colossians chapter three. And this is a space where we can come together. When you feel a space of despair, this room is for you. Maybe you're the person who's feeling all jolly and it's real and life is at its peak. I've been there. I feel like we're on the space back where God is bringing us the healing and growth. Because I don't know about you, but when it fills the hardest, it also seems to be the greatest growth space in your life. I don't know why it has to work that way. It seems to. Wherever you are, if you feel like you're that person who's beat up in despair, maybe you and your spouse are having spousal issues. Maybe you have that one kid who just won't listen to you. Maybe you're exhausted. I love how some of the kids looked at their parents like, is that me? That was awesome. <laughs> Must be. Ooh, time to pray. Wherever you land in the picture, whether you are the Naomi that is leaving to Moab with anticipation, or you're the Naomi and Ruth who come back with deep, deep grief, and it feels like that person who had the sailboat who lost everything, Pastor Eric shared Wherever you sit in that spectrum, God has a word for you this morning. And just because it's a holiday doesn't mean it's a weekend off. Let's meet Jesus in our vulnerability. Let's bring the honesty to him. Would you pray with me? Tell me, Father, we believe that this is a space where your spirit is actually moving to go to the song. And the beautiful thing is that in this story with Naomi, it's the same God today as we read about and Lord, I pray that as we get into the chapter four this morning and we start to see not just a different Naomi, but why there's a different Naomi, that it would resonate, strike a chord in somebody in this room and transformation would take place. Lord, we don't do this just to have a space to chat and hang out. We do this because we want to see people who are far from God. Just like I felt like the last seven months who can come into a deep, passionate relationship with you. So, Lord, for whoever this message were to reach on the expansive web or here in this room, would your spirit just fill the space? Would you help us navigate the complexities of life? Where we go from the deep celebrations, like celebrating finishing of high school, praise the Lord, into the next space, the massive unknown. Lord, would you meet us where we are this morning and bring hope grace and peace that surpasses all understanding. It's in your name we pray, amen. Okay, so since it's my first time preaching, I thought I would start off with a really encouraging illustration. So I've been in, in youth ministry most of my career, and that means you can bring fun illustrations to the table and just have fun with it. Are you guys ready to have some fun this morning? Hmm? Anybody? Okay, whoo. So I just, my favorite illustration of humans comes from Genesis chapter one and two. Do you know where humans came from? The dust of the earth, which means you're dirt. I told you I was gonna make, I, I, my, my goal is to push you down and so I can raise you up. And you're like, ooh, he brought me, he made me feel good at the end of this. So here's what I want you to do. Look at the person to your left, to your right, the person in front of you. Okay, it's really fun to the person behind you. They're dirt too you dirt. You know what's crazy about this? Um, I have a special section in my budget for my wife to manage this. It's like in the form of pedicures and manicures and you get your hair colored and you get it curled and you do all these fancy things just to manage. Dirt. Now I have to give a clarifier. since my wife was the one playing the keyboard and she's in the back of the room. I am not calling her dirt. She is the only one in this room that was made of gold. But <laughs> nonetheless, she manages it really, really well. If you think about how much energy we spend managing this. If you're like me, you like designer clothes and it's an obsession, or you like pour over coffees. Does anybody like pour over coffees in the room? I know I have a few coffee disciples in here that I've taught them actually how to make coffee. And Cameron's one, like, yeah. Um, we spend a lot of time on fancy things managing. And as we look at the roof story, you actually see Naomi and then her influence on Ruth spending a lot of time managing what she thought was dirt. Now, there's something really, really positive and encouraging of dirt. It's the one and only substance in the world where growth comes from. So although the Genesis causes dirt, And there are times, and some of us in this room who feel like this in the last seven months, I would say, that was dirt. You know what's interesting about the word dirt? We say, that's dirty. It's a bad thing, right? (laughs) Yet, we call things that are bad dirty and gross, but it's the one place where God does his greatest work. So if you're in the room here this morning and you feel like that, Naomi, and you feel like dirt, I got a word for you. God isn't done yet. But in this moment, in Ruth chapter one, Naomi felt what? We can dialogue. What's the word? She felt empty, broken, worthless. Her purpose, out the window. Her identity, out the window. Her identity as a husband, gone. Her identity as a future grandma, gone. Her identity as a mom, gone. And some of you in this room understand. Everything she thought she was, poof. And what's scarier is that she had no say in the matter. There's nothing in this story that tells us that she did anything wrong. Ever felt like life isn't fair? And you're just doing your best to manage the dirt that God gave you and it still looks like dirt. And some days it looks like straight mud. Well, let's, let's jump forward a bit and let's see what happens in Ruth chapter four. Because the crazy thing about Ruth, the whole book of Ruth, is the main character isn't Ruth. The main character is actually Naomi, as we're going to see. Now, Ruth, being a amazing as she is, gets the namesake. But the actual main character is Ruth, So, it, or is Naomi, excuse me. So let's jump to Ruth chapter 4, starting in verse 13. So this is the very end of the story. A lot happens in Ruth chapter 1, 2, and 3. Again, I encourage you to go back and listen to Pastor Josh's sermons and to listen to Pastor Mark's last week, where he talks about the idea of waiting. If you need a spiritual practice, Last week's an encouraging one. Waiting. But then it gets to this point. So she has no kids. She has this random kind of daughter in law who decides to stick with her, and it's a confusing piece. Like, why would she do that? In the ancient world, in the Hebrew culture, a widow had no ownership of anything without an heir have it. So when she comes back to Bethlehem and she says the word empty, she's not kidding. Now it turns out that her husband left land behind that they owned, but she doesn't actually have access to it. And they need what they call a guardian redeemer. So it jumps into verse 13 here. So Boaz, who's kind of like the miracle worker of the story. So Boaz took Ruth, they get married and takes him as his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive. This is a huge piece. We'll come back to that in a minute. And she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord. I gotta go back to that. The women said to Naomi. It's important. We just read about the women in chapter one. It's the same group of women. They're, no, they're not named, but they're really important characters, obviously, in Naomi's life. They were the first ones to greet her when she gets back into town. They're the first ones to recognize her and love her. And now at her deepest, darkest moment, she's literally giving up. They're there again. And they say to her, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. Now I'm gonna stop here. The assumption is if you've read chapter three or the first part of chapter four, the guardian redeemer is assumed to be Boaz who marries Ruth. But Boaz could not be the guardian redeemer for Naomi could only be for Ruth. Naomi's family name would not continue. The story isn't complete. It's looking good for Ruth. Have you ever felt that? Like you're helping somebody else out, but you're doing miserable job and you feel like you need a lot of help and everybody else gets all the, the benefits. You ever been there? And it's like, come on, God, when's my turn? That's Naomi here. And yet something radical happens. They're saying, but Naomi, it's come. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. Ever heard of the name Obadiah? This is where it comes from. It means to serve, and the Obadiah means to serve the Lord. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, before I get too far, I want to talk about for just a minute everything that's taking place here. So I talk about this whole idea of a garden redeemer. Now, before I get too in-depth in it, Naomi needed it. Naomi knew she needed it. And she felt like her story was over. And we just read something because we get to read the end of the story first. And that's what, your story isn't over. Now, as a pastor, I get to meet with people a lot. And one of the things I hear from people all the time is my story's over. When you're in an identity crisis, you assume it's done. And one of the things that takes over when you get in this really depressed, worry, anxious space is that you assume everything's done with. It's over. I got nothing left. The first thing you can take from this story is that your story is just started. Now, I pray that that is a good news for somebody in the room. Your story has just started. Naomi had no clue what was about to come. And then this last part, we just read it. She becomes the the grandmother of Jesse, the grandmother, great-great-grandmother of King David. Did she know that was coming? Not a clue. Not a clue. Did she have a clue that she was gonna be written in Scripture? Not a chance. Her story was just beginning. She went from barely surviving in Ruth chapter one, you almost could argue she was not really surviving. She came back, she was empty. Have you ever felt like you're just barely surviving? Or maybe that's just where you're at. You're like, well, I'm existing. I'm, I'm like barely keeping my nose above water right here. Somehow or another, in this incredible story, she goes from surviving to thriving, from lost, broken, bitter, to redeemed, sweet, loving, and caring. The same story is being written for you. What can we learn from Naomi? Boy, these pages like to flip around, don't they? What can we learn from this incredible story of what looks like managing your dirt, flipping it in the air, surviving, trying, let's get another manicure, another... Body massage, let's let's do something and break up all those broken joints and oh my goodness, my life is falling apart. I don't want to do. How do you go from barely surviving to thriving? For Naomi, it took 18 years. It is estimated because of historical things that happened along the way that it from Ruth chapter one to Ruth chapter four was 18 additional years to the 10. Now, if you're anything like me, you are searching for the Staples Easy button. It's like Jesus is supposed to be a lot easier than this. This is hard stuff. This is ridiculous. But let's go back and let's reread a little bit of what God actually does in a very quick minute. 18 years later, Boaz took Ruth and became her husband. And when he made love to her, huge thing, the Lord made Now, they were in Moab for 10 years and married, yet Ruth didn't have a kid. We don't know why, but she didn't. We don't know if that means she wasn't capable. Maybe her original husband wasn't capable. We don't know, but she didn't have it. Which again, for a woman, that was everything. And now the Lord made it possible. So maybe you feel like Ruth and you feel like Naomi. It takes the Lord, not how well you're good or how good you are at managing your dirt. You can't manage it well enough to get you out of it. If you're like me, you're looking for the staples, easy button, and you're looking for the easiest way out. If you're like me, it's like when I, I remember my first uh, like meeting with my uh, advisor in college, and I remember saying to her, hey, can we like, look at all the classes? You're going to get a big insight into how ridiculously organized I can be in life. Um, and I think you know, I like to plan it out perfectly, and it's going to go the way I want it to go. Anybody else resonate with that? Not me either. Okay, but I'm meeting with my advisor for the very first time ever. And I say, hey, can we map out the fastest way to finish college? Like, can we just put the classes? Because of course it's gonna go as easy as I think it's gonna go. Like college is definitely as easy as high school. So those of you who are chuckling, yeah, you, you've been, got it. Well, um, I've, I mapped it out that I could get done in two and a half years. It took me six and a half. For some reason, when Jeremy managed it really, really, really well, it went to dirt. But I remember I was 20 years old, almost 21. I was at one of these old school revivals on a Wednesday night at a Nazarene church in Kokomo, Indiana, and I am struggling. Sarah and I are dating, getting very serious, about to be engaged, and I'm breaking and I remember going up to the old school altar where I got vulnerable for the first time, where I admitted that this guy who's got it all put together on the outside has none of it put together on the inside. And I wasn't doing very well at managing my dirt. My parents thought I was. They didn't know how to write a letter to remain at Indiana Wesleyan University. It wasn't great. And I remember my life broke when I had to call my parents a few months before Sarah and I got married and said, hey, can you come over to Marion and meet us at good old IHOP? Because back then it's about all Marion, Indiana had was good old IHOP at like nine o'clock at night. And they know it's not good when their son Jeremy is calling them at nine o'clock at night to come over for some dinner. They come over, I can't get words out. I mean, I am, a, I am ugly crying. It's gross. Ugh. The thing is, I think some of us are ugly crying inside right now. We chuckle because you know what it means. And I'm ugly crying right in front of my parents. I'm like, this Sarah is about to marry me. I'm like, she doesn't know what she's doing. Like, she's making a big mistake. You don't see how hideous this looks. I can't manage anything. And I was the same guy who had it perfectly mapped out in two and a half years I was gonna finish. Well, Andy and Wesleyan made me take a semester off. Hey, Jeremy, how about you figure out life? I've been trying. Like, I've been reading God's word. I was doing everything I thought I was supposed to do. I was trying hard. Man, was I really good at manicuring and pedicuring my dirt. Until it became mud. And Jeremy learned something very valuable. It takes the Lord to make it happen. Thriving spiritually and in life does not look like what clothes you wear, although I like to think it does. It doesn't look like how good your Instagram is, although I like to think it does. I spend way too much time perfecting every photo I ever post. It's an obsession. It doesn't look like the title that you receive. It doesn't look like, you name it, thriving, looks like going from a place of famine to a place of fertile land. But only God supplies the promised land, not your staples easy button and not how good you manage it. And if there is anything I think us good old suburbanites need to hear, you shouldn't manage it. And how do I know you shouldn't manage it? Naomi couldn't. Ruth couldn't, and no one ever has been able to. I'll never forget the most gracious words my mother told me that night. Sitting there at IHOP, ready for my Enneagram 3 mother, where I get it all from, to just come down hard on me for not being successful and not being great. And she looks right at me and she goes, you are my son and I love you, was the first words out of her mouth. And if I thought I had ugly cries before, boy, when you receive love like that, you get ugly cries. Because you realize what your identity is really in. How many of us in this room are trying too hard, managing the wrong things and see anxiety and worry and depression flying through the roof of your house? Because we see thriving as barely surviving. When thriving is going to the promised land with God and it's only he who can make it possible. Let me explain to you what a guardian redeemer is if we close. A uh, guardian regarding redeemer is a thing you actually through, see throughout the New Testament. If you want to see a New Testament version, go to Luke chapter 10 or Hebrews chapter 2, and you actually see um, the Pharisees trying to test Jesus. If you remember the three spies in Luke chapter 20, there's actually people trying to test Jesus, and they actually bring out Ruth and Naomi's story. They don't mention them by name, but they literally explain their story, and they're trying to trick him because they want to see Jesus say that he is the guardian redeemer for you. And so what does Jesus do? He says he is. But what does it mean for Jesus or even this little cute baby, Obed, to be a guardian redeemer? First and foremost, here are the four things that must be requirement. They must be family. They must be family. Number two, they must be willing to do it. If you know anything about this Ruth story is that the first person in line was not Boaz. The other one was, and he was not willing to do it. But he actually had good reasons because if he had accepted Ruth and Naomi, it would have messed up the inheritance for his land, for his own family, and it was a high risk. He was unwilling. Number three, they must be able to actually cover the debts. Number four, they must actually pay the bill. Does that sound familiar with Jesus? Ever heard the song that Jesus paid it all? It's embarrassing to be able to preach a sermon that I had to like have Jesus attack me all week on because it made me flashback and see my last seven months and see all the places where Jeremy thought he was a savior of his own story. One of the best things and the hardest things I ever have done in my life was was officiating my dad's funeral. And I remember trying to take the place as the family hero who's going to guide the family through it all. And so I realized I wasn't supposed to the spirit of Jesus was. Some of you are feeling empty because you're working really hard to guide the family when you need to give your family over to Jesus. Men in the room specifically, I know I have this temptation. Your family is Jesus. And the moment you give it to them, you will release a burden on you that you were never meant to carry. And then Jesus is actually gonna give you the space and the empowerment to lead your family even more beautifully than before. Some of us have been struggling because our 401ks haven't looked very good the last month. I just decided to stop looking at mine because maybe not looking at it, honey. I was like, wait a minute. And some of us are preparing to retire and it's not looking very good now. And you're starting to freak out like Naomi and you're starting to wonder about the future. It's a fair concern. But if there's anything we can learn in this story is that Jesus has already paid it. The book of Ruth was written, estimated about 500 years after the story took place. And then in Matthew chapter one, her story surfaces again. I'm not gonna read it for you, but I encourage you to read the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter one. Where actually Pastor Josh talked about this a few weeks ago. It's the, it is the combination of all of Ruth and Naomi's story ends in Matthew chapter one. Like how cool is it to get to be a part of Jesus' story? The same woman who rebuked God and blamed God for her problems and her emptiness is the same one who gets to be in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And that's a reminder that not only are you not in your final chapter, not only are you not in your final chapter, but the chapter title that you are in is Lost to Redeemed Barely Surviving to Thriving in Christ. That's the title of your chapter, it's the title of mine. Stop barely surviving by managing your dirt and allow the dirt that you want to manage to be the dirt that Jesus cultivates and grow something beautiful in. Naomi's story ends in Matthew chapter one where it says in verse 17 that 14, 14, 14 generations. Three sets of generations. Where does Naomi's name meet on that list? Anybody know? It's not even listed. Ruth's is. Boaz, the redeemer of the family who brings a child called Obed, is listed. Her grandson is listed. And then genealogy of Jesus Christ, she had no idea that in her moment of emptiness, your emptiness right now, you have no idea where God has taken your family if you're willing to trust And I believe that some of us need two things in this room. We need the hope of Jesus Christ that's here for you. And some of us, I'm about to tell you what I've needed for a while. You ready? I'm speaking to myself as much as anyone else. Stop being so vain and managing this and let's get vulnerable. I know it's Memorial Day weekend, supposed to be a little bit lighter weekend at church. Come on, Jeremy. One of the greatest limitations of the modern church is that we're really good at putting on our cute sweaters and jackets and hats, and we make ourselves look put together, and we're not vulnerable. There's one final piece of this story that I absolutely love. The religious institution is never mentioned in the book of Ruth. It's the only Old Testament book where a religious institution is never mentioned, yet God shows up. Some of you feel empty because you've actually removed yourself from your community. I told you I wanted to show you the women from Ruth chapter one, verse 19, who said, "Oh, this must be Naomi." And then in Ruth chapter, four, t- chapter four, verses 16, 17, 18, the women, the, women, the same women who bring the blessing to Naomi was her community. So if, you're, if you haven't been through Rooted, I'm biased because I lead Rooted here, you should join it next time. If you're feeling empty, join a spiritual community that can support you. If you're feeling full, would you literally please go talk to Pastor Rob after this and talk about what it means to, for you to lead a huddle? So that others who feel empty can get into a huddle and they can start a process of growthless like Naomi did. Because Naomi needed a Ruth and a Boaz and there are a lot of people in this room He needs you to lead a huddle. But we're struggling with huddles because we don't have leaders. And that's not to manipulate, but that's our calling as Christians is to help people come alongside so they can stop managing their dirt and they can experience the fullness that only comes through Jesus Christ. Your story is not done. You're in the chapter of going from lost, sinking, barely surviving, to thriving and redeeming in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, you know how uncomfortable it was to stand up here and to, to admit that I feel like Naomi. For the first time in my life, I feel like there are days I don't want to get out of bed. I have never in my life felt an energy drop. But sometimes life isn't fair, and I wanna blame you. But I pray that you would guide me and people in this room to a space of vulnerability, being open and honest. It's raw, it's embarrassing. I feel like I wonder what people are thinking of me even as I'm up here. But I know that you are bringing healing in your name. You are stirring the dirt in my life, and you are making it beautiful purposeful, meaningful, and you are redeeming my story, not just for me, but for generations to come, for 14 plus 14 plus 14 generations. May this morning be about giving you our heart allowing you to mold it, form it, and may that be as hard as it is a vulnerable space where we come into a healing relationship with Jesus Christ.